0: Hello, everybody. It's Chris here. I just wanted to give you a quick note that this episode was recorded just before the news of Alexei Navalny's death in prison in Russia. And so we don't cover that story in this episode of Espresso Martini, but we will be covering it in a future edition. And obviously, our thoughts are with Alexei Navalny's family and friends. And we, like you, are probably wondering about what the Future holds for Russia because I know many had uh, high hopes with Navalny that somehow he might be able to find a way to sort of change Russia and get it away from Putin's grip. Personally, I always felt that was probably a little unlikely, but it's always good to have hope. And sadly, now that hope has has gone with his death, and Putin continues to stay in power pretty much unchallenged in Russia. So, unfortunately, interesting times are ahead on that front. All that aside, I hope you enjoy this episode of Espresso Martini, and we will catch you on the next one. Take care. Secrets and Spies presents Espresso Martini with Chris Carr and Matt Fulton. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Espresso Martini. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Chris, how are you? It's good to be back. Yeah, it's good to be back too. It feels—I don't know how long it's been now. I've lost track because we were supposed to be doing this last week, and then, as always, my day job got in the way. So it's
1: been. It's... Have we done one in February, or was that like the no. end of
0: January? Was our last one? Yeah, end of January was our last. This is our first yeah, February one. The days so, just yeah. kind of blend together. Yeah. So, on today's episode, we're going to be looking at a potential new Russian-threatened space, then we're going to be looking at Tucker Carlson's trip to Russia, then look at Russian efforts to destabilise US politics, and a lot more. Then we will be moving on to our Patreon-only show, Extra Shot, and on that we'll be looking at the concerning rise of the AFD party in Germany, the cult of AI, and the return of an old Cold War spymaster. So to get access to our extra shot show, you'll need to be a Patreon subscriber because it's exclusively for Patreon supporters. To do that, you just need to go to patreon.com forward slash secrets and spies, pick the subscription level that works for you. And on top of that, you'll get a cup or a coaster, depending on which level you pick. And you'll get access to our extra shot shows, which come out immediately after every espresso martini. So, Matt, we're going to take a look at this Russian space threat. So, uh, yeah, you've been looking at this. So I'll let you dive into it. and Tell us about it.
1: Yeah, so this is a a curious story that kind of just broke out of nowhere yesterday. So we're recording this on Thursday, February 15th. And this sort of um, very quickly came to kind of dominate DC political reporting um, most of the day yesterday. And we almost delayed... Recording this episode to tomorrow because mm-hmm. of this, I, I think we were wise not to delay. it. I don't think we have to. But anyway, to ground our conversation, we have an article here by Joseph Trevithick in, in uh, The War Zone, which is a great publication. They do awesome stuff. It's called Alarm Raised Over Destabilizing New Russian Threat in Space. So some of the key points from this brouhaha from yesterday. So the chairman of the House U.S. Intelligence Committee, uh, his name's Mike Turner, he's a Republican from Ohio, urges declassification of information regarding a serious and destabilizing national security threat allegedly linked to Russian space-related capabilities. So Representative Mike Turner uh, called yesterday publicly for President Biden to declassify information for open discussion among members of Congress, the administration, and our allies. Uh, The report suggested... As this sort of came out later in the day, you know, things leak on the hill in like five minutes once they all start talking about it. So the reports that came out later in the day yesterday suggested the threat involves. So there's sort of two, two beliefs here. The one is involves Russian consideration of deploying nuclear weapons in space for anti-satellite purposes. Later last night, that belief was amended by some people. I think Shane Harris had some reporting on this to this effect late last night that it's not quite deploying nuclear weapons in space, but nuclear-powered anti-satellite weapons. Do you see the difference? Yes. Right. Uh, so National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan uh, plans, I believe it's it's today or, or tomorrow, plans a classified briefing for the Gang of Four, which is the um, chairmen and ranking members of the House and Senate Intelligence Committees. So Mark Warner and Marco Rubio who are uh, respectively the chair and vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Uh, They cautioned against rushing for for disclosure of this intelligence. Um, Details about the threat remain unclear, though timing may relate to Russia's recent launch of a classified military payload. Russia is known for its classified space capabilities and anti-satellite weapons, posing threats to U.S. assets in space. Space Space-based networks are critical for U.S. military operations, including early warning, navigation, and communication Possibilities include threats from non-space-related Russian military capabilities, Chinese developments in space weaponry, and other countries' missile advancements. If the threat is confirmed as a disruptive Russian space capability, it signifies the emergence of space as an active battlefield, potentially requiring new disclosures and defensive measures by the U.S. military. So, yeah. Chris, what do you think about this?
0: Well, it's an interesting one. Are we, are we slowly moving into the plot of Goldeneye? <laughs> or like space cowboys or something, you
1: know? Well nice. space cowboys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is
0: is has the Russians built a giant space laser that's nuclear yeah, powered to sure. maneuver it around. We're just gonna I? go
1: like full Moonraker now.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think it's like every year Moonraker slowly turns into a documentary. Um so, Unfortunately. So, yeah, yeah. I mean so my initial thoughts were like since the Reagan administration, there's been an ongoing debate regarding the potential for space to evolve into a new battleground. Um, now initially, this concept fell under the domain of the u s Air Force and obviously, during the Trump administration, there was the establishment of space force, which was met with considerable uh ridicule and amusement, especially on my part um but now it looks like space force might actually have a job now, so after how many years of being in existence um so if military and communication satellites were destroyed, obviously it will have a devastating effect both for the modern military and civilians. And I suspect the likelihood of such an attack would only come in the kind of final desperate days uh, or hours of a full-out war. Because anybody, you know, shooting down a satellite or destroying satellites en masse would risk declaring a war. That would be seen as a war-declaring act. So I don't think anybody's going to just out of their way go and do this. This is very much a, a last, um, last-ditch attempt to, to win a conflict. Um, China have also demonstrated they've got the capability to shoot down individual satellites, haven't they? I'm going to assume the US probably have that capability, but we just don't know about it. But, um, you know, who knows? Uh, I know there's that mysterious, uh, is it the XB-37B? X-37B. Thank you. The X-37B, which is this sort of mysterious robotic uh, space shuttle. So it's fully, that one's uh, a total drone, isn't it? So it doesn't require any personnel on it, does it? Yeah, there's no one on board. So it's not going to be like West Wing series 7 where Toby's brothers on this sort of secret military shuttle so it won't be like that. So with the the whole somebody destroying satellites on mass um I think you know I'd I'd like to find out whether the I'm sure it can but whether the military still can function without them because we've sort of shifted into this sort of digital age over the last like 30 odd years. And certainly the military are much more reliant on uh, military-based GPS systems and communication systems. But you do wonder whether if somebody took out all the satellite network, whether that would cause a problem for navigational communications on a military level. And if it would cause a problem, then maybe it's time to rethink about maybe going back to some slightly older school methods um, as a kind of backup option. But I would assume, I'd like to assume, but I... I, (laughs) But Making an assumption in this day and age is not always a wise thing, but I'd like to assume that somewhere somebody has thought about this, but there are times when it comes to modern things where those assumptions um, are not founded, uh, especially when it comes to drones going near airports. You would think that there were some measures for that, and Gatwick Airport a few years ago demonstrated that there were no real measures for that. I hope that's changed um so yeah so it's an interesting one um i think it if, if somebody did take out satellites it's probably going to cause more of a problem for, for uh ordinary civilians than maybe the military but we'll see
1: yeah i don't i mean i'll say sort of the trajectory of this whole conversation yesterday mm. mike turner is not he's a he's a serious mike turner is a serious person um he's not a conspiracy theorist clown like mm. mm. Some many of his colleagues, and like I said to you yesterday, when we were discussing, you know, do we delay the show? What do we do to keep an eye on it? I mean, I said if he, if Mike Turner comes out publicly and says something like, you know, hey, this is a problem. We need to talk about this. We need to pay attention to this. It's worth giving him the benefit of of, of the doubt and at least seeing what the issue is. That said, with the details that we now have about this issue it is a serious it's a serious thing it's a it's it's a concern for sure i don't know again just based on the details that that we have which is not a complete picture but just based on the details that we have about it it's not something that's like a everyone stop what you're doing and pay attention to this right now kind of yeah thing. it's
0: not a pressing matter it's not happening tomorrow we're not going to like have all the satellites destroyed tomorrow
1: no just... it's not something mm. that we need to discuss like yeah right now like it, it's it's not an emergency it's not something that required mm. him to publicly you know call for the administration to declassify all this stuff which has resulted in this intelligence about this stuff coming to light you know like we wouldn't have known that we know that the russians are attempting this without mm-hmm. his freakout yesterday
0: yeah well he's potentially blown sources and methods is the term that comes up frequently potentially stuff, potentially yeah.
1: i'm not sure about the sourcing behind this or how mm. you know how fresh or 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 sensitive it was but it's definitely a concern um as far as the overall issue of you know warfare or, or combat in in space i sort of shared your kind of amusement at um the establishment of the US Space Force as another mm. service branch uh a few years ago. I was sort of like, like, why are we why are we doing this? Like, do we need a specific service? Cause we we had for a while, we had a separate uh unified uh a separate unified uh combatant command, US Space mm. Command, that sort of housed all the branches, assets, the units that deal with stuff in space, right? Okay, that made sense to me. But to have a specific mm. service branch.
0: Yeah. Especially as you've got so many.
1: <laughs> right. Um, it seemed to me like why are we doing this for to babysit a bunch of assets that are probably gonna be fried in the first hours of a great power mm. conflict? Mm. Anyway, that said, my feeling on it has kind of evolved in yeah. In, yeah. in 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 recent years. So Space Force is under it's under the Department of the Air Force. So you can look at its relationship with the Air Force in the same way that like the Navy and the Marine Corps are both under the department of of the Navy right yeah it makes more sense to me um now that i've I've you know looked at how the space force is structured and and what it does over the you know last couple of years um I think a lot of the really more interesting and honestly more secretive stuff that the Department of Defense is doing right now is inside the Space Force. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of stuff. I would say easily the majority of, of weapon systems and programs and stuff that they're up to, we don't know anything about. And that's to include, you mentioned the, um, the uh, X-37B, mm. which, um, as you sort of said in your opening there, it's a, um, it, it looks like a miniaturized space shuttle, right? That's it's 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 unmanned and it's been on several missions now in the years Mm -hmm. that it's been operational and it'll be up there in space Mm -hmm. for years at a time and then it'll come back down. And we don't know even like, you know, kind of keen observers of the issue. We don't really know what it what it does or or what it's doing up there or what its Mm -hmm. capabilities are. I mean, it's been theorized that it it could just be like an experimental kind of, you know, like test bed platform thing, or it could just be a straight up weapon. I think the evidence that we have it points to it. It is a weapon, or maybe the better way to describe it is it's like a weapon in the sense that a kitchen knife or a frying pan or like a mm. minivan is a weapon. Mm, mm. You know what I mean? Like, it's not necessarily designed to be that way but like yeah yeah you could run someone over with a minivan if you wanted to you know you could hit them over the head with a frying pan if you wanted to
0: it's probably a prototype for other stuff that's coming i would imagine because they're probably um trying to kind of get their head around some of the logistics of a vehicle like that and how it yeah
1: so what i would guess if i if i had to like you know on the spot what is the x37b what is it what does it do if you consider, like, the development of a spy satellite, right, from concepts to design through testing to development to launch, it mm. takes about 10 years, right, mm. Mm. for a new system of, 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 of spy satellites. And by the time that decade is up, by the time it actually gets up into orbit, a lot of the like the, the, the payload, the sensors and stuff that are on board the satellite aren't really quite cutting edge. You know, they're, they're a bit dated at the time. And once it's up there, it's up there. And for however long its service life is projected to be, right? The difference with the X37B is that it can come back down. It's maneuverable. You could bring it back down. It, you know, it does its mission for however long it needs to be up there. It comes back down and then you can replace the payload with the more up-to-date advanced sensors, technology, mm-hmm. whatever you want to use it for. So that's a potential answer to the question of what is it? What does it do? The other thing, as far as it being a weapon, right? So one of the issues, as I understand it, with warfare in space, anti-satellite weapons in particular, and this sort of speaks to the theory that this Russian capability that people were freaked out about today um, involves using nuclear weapons to take out satellites, right? So there's this thing called the Kessler syndrome, which if you've seen the movie Gravity, the yeah. event that opens it is an example of that, which basically is so like uh, space debris, right? Mm, That's mm. up in orbit, circling the Earth at like thousands of miles an hour, like little tiny bits of screws or things larger, like just shrapnel debris, right? That's just spinning around at thousands of miles an hour. And that hits something at that speed like the international space station or another satellite or you know whatever causes a huge amount of damage you know it's like if you drop a penny from the top of the empire state building it'll kill yeah. someone when it hits the ground yeah. you know it's the same kind of idea so the Kester syndrome posits that if you were to start you know blowing up satellites in orbit right the shrapnel from that starts spinning around and starts taking out everything else
0: Yeah. At that
1: level of of orbit, even your own stuff, even your own allies' stuff, and create so much debris that, like, for a few generations, you wouldn't be able to operate anything at that orbit. Like, you wouldn't be able to get anything off the Earth.
0: Yeah, how long would that take? Yeah.
1: Many years for it to deorbit and come back into the atmosphere and burn up, which is why I said on Twitter last night, you know, when it sort of came out that it's, you know, this anti-satellite thing, I... Posted about the, the, the Kessler syndrome and said, Yeah, doing a Kessler syndrome for the lulls is like some incredibly dumb, harebrained Bond villain type shit. And which is rings true for the current man in the Kremlin to do, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the Chinese have a lot of interest in the commercialization of space. They've seemed to be pretty rational, responsible actors in this field. The Russians, meanwhile, historically, not so much. Um, so I don't know. That's, that's something to consider. A countermeasure to that issue would be what's called like a laser broom, which none of these have been built that sort of in, in theory, it's been designed, but they're not operational. Right. Which would be like an extremely powerful laser that you could base on the ground or on a ship, an aircraft, even on another satellite or something that would like. Let's say the International Space Station is orbiting, right, and we see that there's particular space debris that's in the way that it would it would collide with, right? The space laser would zap that debris before the space shuttle gets there. It would burn it up and bring it back down into the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. As for the weaponized, theorized weapon component of the X thirty seven B, right? So there was this artist recently who was commissioned by the Space Force to draw create some painting illustration whatever of a uh, near future like space battle right and it basically showed what's what looks a lot like the x-37b mm-hmm. with an arm coming out of it Ooh. yeah that would be used to like a grappling hook or an arm or something that would be used to pull a satellite an enemy satellite out of orbit so rather than blowing it up and having all this shrapnel you would just pull it out of orbit. It would deorbit, come through the atmosphere, burn up safely. That's a responsible way to do anti-satellite weaponry,
0: not yeah. you know setting off a nuke. Yeah, jeez. And I suppose the other thought I just had while you're saying that was you could also the X thirty-seven B. If you could, if it can stay in space for very long periods of time. Oh yeah, years. Maybe they might pre-position a few up there, um, in, in uh, case of something like this happening. So yeah, above that orbit.
1: we're I don't know. quite certain. That it is maneuverable, we do believe mm. that I think I think the Secretary of the air force or or someone high up in in the Pentagon said that it is maneuverable um but yeah there's there's a lot about this area that 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 we don't know, and as I said, I think a lot of the more secretive, interesting stuff that the military is doing today is is up yeah. in space, and we just we just don't know about it,
0: yeah, I'm still intrigued by why the panic um. You know, are they launching something that's going to make this a real-time thing? Um, Why Mike Turner's mm, panic? Are rush about to launch. And not that actually do it, but to launch the device so it's there. A couple
1: theories as to his freak out. Um, mm. I mean, it could be to some kind of a potential loss, some of the uh, launch. Some of the, some of the commentary I've seen recently suggests that this is more just aspirational. You know, that they're sort of designing these weapons. They would like to put it up there, but they're not... Openly about to do so. The other interesting thing is so, um, I've seen it reported last night that this, that the intelligence around this issue was obtained through Section 702 of the FISA, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance mm, Act, mm. which Section 02 is very soon going to be up for reauthorization in the Senate. Yeah. And there's, yeah. or in Congress in general. And that's been, mm. um, Section 702 has been um, controversial on both sides of the aisle in recent years on the left for, you know, just more civil rights, security concerns, privacy, that kind of stuff on the right because it was used to um, investigate some of the Russian interference claims. Right. So they don't like it. Republicans don't like it for that. And there's some theorizing that Mike Turner sort of had this public freak out over it to, I guess, show the importance of Section 702. To his colleagues, I don't know that that's why he did this. That reporting was made last night, and I find it interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah. But
1: again, we don't know all the ins and outs of this reporting and, you know, why specifically he thought he needed to ring the alarm bells like this. But, I mean, as I have described, and this is a serious thing, yes, but I don't think it's like a everyone stop what you're doing and and pay attention to this right now kind of a thing. Are there any more government shutdowns
0: happening? Because I've lost track.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. So actually, um, the House yesterday uh, is out of session up until February 28th. And on the 1st, the government shuts down, is slated to shut down unless they, you know, reauthorize the budget again. So when mm. they come back in, in natural, you know, tendency for these assholes, they'll have two days to do their basic
0: fundamentals of their job. Mm. Yeah, so I wonder if there's something connected to that as well. I don't know. It's a weird one. Because he, he, he doesn't, as you are saying, he doesn't sound like a, a nutter or anything. So, He's um, not. So I would imagine there must have been some grand scheme <laughs> to, uh, or concern, pressing concern about this. But who who knows? Um, we, I guess we'll find out more as time time comes on. But uh, yeah, well, should we um, move on to uh, Tucker Carlson's trip to Russia? If we must, <laughs> If we must, yes. Yeah, well, um, I think we will, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, he, he went to Russia to interview Russian President Vladimir Putin. So, Matt, um, you picked this one. So do you want to tell us a little bit about it?
1: Yeah, so I have two articles here that we're going to use to talk about. Um, the first one is by Tatiana and from the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. She wrote a, an article called Why Putin's Interview with Tucker Carlson Didn't Go to Plan. And the other one is from The Daily Beast by Julia Davis. It's called Kremlin cronies, Putin-Tucker interview will blow up, in quotes, U.S. election. So, Tucker Carlson's trip to Russia for an interview with Putin has sparked excitement among Russian propagandists who see it as a propaganda boon. Putin's allies believe the interview could boost Putin at home and aid Trump's re-election bid by influencing U.S. audiences. The timing coincides with Russia's presidential election. Um, and The outcome, you know, is not a suspenseful thing. Um, offering Putin a chance to assert his dominance at home. Uh, Russian officials anticipate leveraging Carlson's large audience to influence the U.S. election by emphasizing his criticisms of Democrats. Russian state media extensively covered Carlson's visit, portraying him sympathetically and highlighting his activities. Some Russian commentators compare Carlson's trip to Jane Fonda's controversial visit to Vietnam.
0: Oh, Hanoi Jane, as she's known. Yeah, Hanoi it?
1: Jane, yeah. <laughs> and predict reprisals for him in the U.S., uh, the Russian Union of Journalists, that's a fucking oxymoron if I've ever heard one. <laughs> the Russian Union of Journalists offer Carlson, uh, has offered Carlson membership, viewing him as mm-hmm. aligned with their interests. Uh, speculation on Carlson's mental state under U.S. pressure and predictions of the interview's disruptive impact on the U.S. media landscape abound, and some commentators express hope for civil unrest in the U.S., seeing it as a potential consequence of the interview's impact. Chris, what did you think about
0: this? Well, where do we begin? Um, you just mentioned uh, the whole Hanoi Jane thing, so I'll just uh, mention that Carlson's also being compared with Walter Duranty, who was a former New York Times bureau chief who was based in Moscow from 1921 to 1934, and Duranty gained notoriety for portraying communist Russia in an excessively positive manner, minimising or disregarding human rights violations and echoing Soviet propaganda. He even went as far as denying the Russian campaign to suppress the Ukrainian independence movement by deliberately starving Ukrainians during the Holodomor from 1932 to 33, which resulted in the death of millions. So I think that's quite a fair comparison as well, the Walter Durante one. Um, so with Tucker Carlson, this kind of feels like the cherry on the cake for him um, because, you know, he's been parroting Russian and white supremacist talking points for some time. And those who've sort of pointed that out have frequently been attacked for being alarmist. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think him actually going out there and doing a softball interview with Putin just really confirms all the worst things we thought about Tucker Carlson. Um, and as you mentioned, the interview didn't quite, wasn't quite the success that some people believed. Um Because Putin sort of went off on a rant (laughs) about his supposed historical justifications for the invasion of Ukraine. I think this rant went on for about 20 plus minutes. Um, And some people believe that if Putin had used the opportunity to tap into the narrative of Russia being the saviour of the white Christian world and being a force against progressive values, Putin would have had more sympathy with American and Western viewers who agree with those ideas. And instead, his long and ranty interview seemed to be alienating. And now Putin's even publicly criticising Tucker Carlson. Um, and apparently, he's been said to say, "Sincerely speaking, I didn't fully enjoy this interview." Yeah. Now, if I were Carlson, I would interview. Just interview the man I held in such high esteem. Um, I would be gutted with that comment. And it will be very interesting to see um, if Carlson's pro-Putin and pro-Russia stance on current affairs may uh change um as a result of this criticism. I won't hold my breath, but I wonder if a bit of ego bashing might just change him a little bit, but we will see. Um Yeah, and oh yeah, and one further note, Tucker Carlson's interview with Putin happened whilst US journalist Evan Gershkovich from the Wall Street Journal is still sitting in a Russian jail for doing his job, which is reporting on Russia. So yeah, it's been a an interesting because a few days with that really
1: well that's another interesting point that you raised that when he kind of introduced his 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 interview with putin and gave his sort of rationale for why he's doing it mm-hmm. he said you know no western journalist has bothered to uh report on russia or try to speak to vladimir putin since the war in ukraine began which is just patently just not true i mean um uh christian aminpour came out like immediately and was like i've been trying to ask to interview vladimir putin since the day the war began, since like before that, you know? Yeah. Plenty yeah. of people have asked. They've all been denied. And excuse yeah. the hell out of you, there are Western journalists inside Russia reporting on Russia and many of them are in jail for doing it, you know, for not going over and just trying to like fallaciate Vladimir Putin on on live television,
0: you know? Yeah. Maybe we should try and get him on this podcast. What do you reckon?
1: Sure. Sure.
0: <laughs> Vlad, tell us uh, tell us everything. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> um, Inside the mind of Vladimir Putin. <laughs> I'll let I'll let
1: you take that interview. Um
0: <laughs> I won't be drinking any tea after that. <laughs> yeah,
1: no. Um uh, I mean but... it is and it is kinda of sad too. Like, you know, mm. Putin kinda of came out afterwards and was like, Yeah, I was kinda of disappointed by the whole thing. Like it's yeah, like they say, yeah. like, never meet your heroes, you know? <laughs> Even during the interview, like, just sort of just made fun of Tucker, like, in the open for being, like, rejected by the CIA. Yes. And then giving him, like, a history lesson on, you know, like, early Renaissance Eastern Europe political history or whatever, which, I mean, I think speaks to, like, the success of, of or the lack thereof of this interview and what it wanted to do here. In the US, I mean Tucker has long been a kind of uh intellectual zamboni for like the 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 a lot of far-right white nationalist ideologies to include mm, mm. those of, you know, of of people who are just diametrically opposed to what the United States historically has stood for and the post-war Western order, right? Yeah. So it just sort of like smoothing over. You know all this bullshit, so that it's you know palatable or 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 digestible to uh common right leaning or or you know people who are sympathetic to those ideas mm. in the U.S. Right, mm. Mm. make it palatable for them, or or to package it in a way that is understandable, or that they may, if they you know found it on like a white supremacist message board online, they might not react so well to it. But if they see it on Fox News at night, you know, it's it's different. Right. Yeah. And I think part of that, the lack of this interview success is a because he doesn't have the platform that he used to. Right. He was fired from Fox News and he's sort of been doing this weird kind of in between thing where it's on Twitter and it's on broadcast on on YouTube and stuff. He hasn't really quite found a new um megaphone that's nearly as effective that has the reach that he did when mm. he was on mm. when he was on Fox so that's something
0: yeah and he probably hoped this might change that but yeah
1: i'm sure he did um i think as far as like putin's rationale for the interview i mean he clearly has like his his strategic reasons for relating to like his historical grievances with with, with us foreign policy um tactically you know he wants to sort of increase more pressure mm. um mm as far as our support for Ukraine is concerned. Um, I think in a way, though, Tucker... I think it's arguable that Tucker went too far, you know? Whereas I think there's a lot of people on the American right who are at least sympathetic to that view of Russia maybe being, like, not so bad. Like, I think Tucker said a while ago... At like the start of the war with Ukraine, he was like, "Why do why do you have to hate Vladimir Putin?" You know, like did 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 uh, Vladimir Putin like take your job? You know, was he like a, yeah, yeah. a, a an immigrant who who uh, took your job? You know, is, is he has he tried to cancel you? You know, mm. really kind of insidious <laughs> mind games that mm. he tries to mm. play with his audience. But I I think he tends to go too far. Like he said. After the interview, he, w- he was talking about it and he said something, he said, and I'm, I'm quoting him here, and the most radicalizing thing for me in the eight days I spent in Moscow was not just a leader of the country. And then he went on to say, what was very shocking, very disturbing was a city of Moscow where I'd never been. It was so much nicer than any city in my country, so much cleaner and prettier aesthetically, its architecture, its food, its service than any city in the United States. And I think for most people mm. here, mm. even, you know, far right, sympathetic people who want to kind of, I think going that far to be like Moscow's nicer than any city in the United States, even for them, I think it just gets to the point like, well, why don't you just fucking stay over there, dude? You
0: yeah. know? It gets a bit Cold War, that doesn't it? It, reminds it does. reminds me of some of the Cold War defectors. It you know? does. <laughs> uh,
1: yes. I had that here. Like, it sounds like someone who is about to or just just straight up defected you yeah. know and i think there's a fine line between trying to package these far right white nationalist pro russian kind of ideas in a way that is sympathetic to the sort of broad base of the american mm. right yeah. versus yeah. just outright being like russia's better than us you know there's a fine line there, and he's 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 not playing it well um yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like I've seen some on a few like I've seen people who are fans of you know, like spy thrillers, military thrillers and stuff who are right, leading people, which okay, fine, but who are kind of like singing Tucker's praises for this interview, and to me, like, I don't know, if your personal politics mm-hmm. come to more closely resemble the traditional villains of this genre than its heroes, it's time for you to take a long look in the mirror.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I think this is such a moment for that, you yeah, know? Like, yeah. look at what he's saying about, you know, you're a fan of this genre that is so rooted in this rah-rah America flag-waving bullshit, but yet you're, you know, you're sticking up for this guy who says that, you know, Moscow's better than any city in the U.S. You know, like, how patriotic are you? Are you really?
0: Well, this is what I find really interesting actually with some older people who lived through the Cold War and some who even fought in the Cold War who have suddenly become very pro Russia. Um, it just I don't know, it's a bit odd. Um, like uh I was trying to think of an example, but that you know, there's one or two people following the line who clearly, you know, were very anti communist and stuff and yeah. but they um and had issues with the Soviet Union, but um seemed to have completely uh, thrown aside any historical knowledge about like the Russian intelligence service and how they traditionally operate and seem to think that any accusation of Russian interference is like, they, they're shocked. How dare you say such things? You know, it's right. like, honestly, honestly, you know, you were, <laughs> you've were you seen these things. Um, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it just, I don't know. I always find it really interesting. One other thought I had, there did seem to be a... a, a A sense of disdain on Putin's part towards Tucker Carlson, which I find kind of interesting because Tucker Carlson theoretically is an ally of Putin. One would think that the the Russian president would appreciate this, uh, this man coming all the way. But I think Putin really doesn't like Trade or people he considers traitors, people who are either traitors to Russia or traitors to their own country. There seems to be a bit of a disdain. That's a very good point. I feel like Putin would have more respect for somebody who disliked him and disliked Russia uh, and were open about it than so maybe we have a better chance. I don't know. We're chatting <laughs> or is, with Putin. It, or <laughs> is it
1: something that like someone is just so slavishly hmm. fawning in their praise yeah. of you and oh my God, you're so great, you're so awesome to the point that like you being in Putin's shoes are like, can you like, 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 tone it down like it's you 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 lose respect for the person after a while you know and interesting putin is first and foremost above everything he's a troll
0: Mm.
1: you know he he likes to just troll people even even you know people who come over and try to be like sympathetic and 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 suck up to him trump is the same way
0: honestly you know yeah 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 the liberal tears they enjoy that don't they yeah Wow, there we go. So we'll see. We'll have to keep an eye on Tucker Carlson and see um, what, what the uh, fallout for him personally is on this trip. I, sus- I suspect nothing would change. but um, No. I think he's got... The problem is, um, I think we've said this before, the kind of the alt-right landscape that he's a part of on the internet is where you make money. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was jokingly saying to my wife a few weeks ago, maybe I should just shave my head, take a load of steroids, go very pro-Trump. And then I'll have the most successful podcast on planet Earth. But, I mean, we could,
1: <laughs> we could definitely make a lot more money with this podcast if we
0: did this. I know. I know. That's all it takes, everybody. All That's it takes much. is to shave my head, do steroids, and get into Trump. You know? <laughs> And we'll be multi-millionaires. <laughs> In sort of
1: preparing for these discussions that we have, it would be so mm. much easier oh, yeah. for me to parrot those, those views, mm. totally mm. not agreeing with them at all, just faking yeah. it off the yeah. top of my head it would be easier for me to do that than to have a rational discussion about stuff that i actually believe on here yeah
0: Which should exactly. tell you something yeah and it is shocking like how even quite new podcasts on like youtube or whatever do become quite successful quite quickly um because they're in that kind of alt-right space um and i've seen one or two people that I used to respect um I won't name names because I don't want the lawsuits, but um there were one or two people who who um were kind of very should we say very knowledgeable about the jihadist problem um from some personal experience that I used to respect and then since- well i don't know they, in the trump years these they started to strike me as a bit opportunistic, and then they went and lost their shit during COVID and became a full-blown COVID conspiracy theorist um and i mean yeah and 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 i really do think that that individual probably did that more for money than they did for belief but i could be wrong maybe i mean people change but we all like um or russell brand that should be seen and I, i don't mind Mentioning him because it's quite widely reported. We've seen how he's sort of rebranded himself, to put it bluntly, um, as this sort of conspiracy theorist online, he went from comedian actor to conspiracy theorist. Um, and he's making a fortune. He's made more money since the allegations against him than he had previously. Um, through YouTube and stuff. Um, which may on a uh on this sort of beheading story, might <laughs> maybe there's some sort of uh connection to some of these things, but that's a whole sure. other thing. But there we yeah. go. Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Well, let's uh, move on and take a look at additional Russian efforts to destabilize the US political debate. So I'm going to draw an article which is titled Russia is boosting calls for civil war over Texas border crisis by David Gilbert for Wired magazine. So David reports that there is a Russian disinformation campaign aimed at exploiting the Texas border crisis to sow division within the United States. Russian officials, influencers and state run media outlets have been actively involved in amplifying narratives suggesting the potential for a People's Republic of Texas and even a civil war in the U.S. The campaign has intensified following a U.S. Supreme Court ruling on the Texas border dispute, with Russian figures like Dmitry Mediev and Maria Zahovia fueling the narrative. Now, coordinated efforts on platforms like Telegram have been observed alongside the infiltration of pro-Texas groups by Russian bot accounts. This campaign marks an escalation in Kremlin efforts to influence U.S. discourse with parallels drawn to previous instances of Russian interference in American affairs, indicating a potentially significant concern for future political divisions in the US. So Matt, obviously it's a bit closer home, a little bit closer home to you, not that much closer, but a little bit. Um, What are your thoughts on on this? Uh, it's nothing new for the
1: Russians. I mean, this is a common game of theirs is to, um, you know, find these domestic political cultural divisions mm, inside mm. adversary target countries and just yeah. pour gasoline on them you know try and exacerbate it's they do your best. <laughs> yeah it's it's really is what they do best it's kind of it 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 is the specialty of their intelligence services mm, you know mm. as i've demonstrated through these you know troll farms and stuff like in the past you know they've they've caused actual real protests in the united states in real life based on stuff that they've ginned up on Facebook. You know, mm. they've done this as far as like COVID-19 or vaccine disinformation. They've done it with um, Black Lives Matter. Uh, they sort of created like whole cloth. We were talking about, you know, the potential of Texas mm. uh, seceding mm. from, from the U.S. right now. They've done this before with uh, California, the whole like, quote unquote, collects it mm. thing.
0: Uh um, oh, that was happening during Trump, wasn't it? I think that whole debate. I believe it was. Yeah. It was.
1: It was. Yeah. Mm. It was. It was. But it never really. It wasn't a big. It wasn't a big thing. It was, you know, in certain corners of the internet. But it's. It's. Um. I don't. I don't know. It's. I don't. I don't take this too seriously. I mean, one. I think it's a lot of. It's a lot of wish casting on the part of traditional Russian propagandists. Like you have like Dmitry Medvedev, who yeah was the president before for a while, sort of you know kept the seat warm for Putin. Um, mm. it was really just fallen like so far, you know. Like if you look at him now, he looks like a total raging alcoholic.
0: Mm, um, he probably is. Yeah. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, and I, I don't know. It's just like just like a social media troll, you know. So I think if, if you see people like him or you know some of their more propagandist TV hosts and stuff, I wouldn't. I think a lot of their commentary on this is for a domestic Russian audience. You know, mm-hmm. it makes mm-hmm. you as a Russian, it makes you feel better about the course of your own policies and, you know, how you're doing in Ukraine if it's mm-hmm. easier for you to believe that the U.S. is on the verge of collapse and, and civil war, right? It just makes you feel better and i think that's a lot of what's going on here i mean i i think it's funny like you have there was like some like facebook groups you know on that we're talking about uh you know for people who were pro like texas uh seceding from the union who were asking you know okay well if when when we succeed when 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 we uh secede when we're like our own country are we still going to get our like social security checks no <laughs> no <laughs> that your social security your medicare your medicaid that comes from the federal government you know like everybody's gangster everybody wants us to see it until mm. you need fema or your social security mm. checks to get there on time you well, know i
0: could tell you from brexit so there was quite a few people especially in like cornwall who were very pro-brexit uh-huh. but didn't realize that cornwall benefited from a lot of eu funding yeah and so when we did leave the eu uh, they lost all that funding and then they were shocked by this uh, and people just and also then like you won't uh, Texas won't have an Air Force or an Army or a Navy to protect it anymore. Technically, you know, yeah, I, um, I mean, yeah. the National
1: Guard at the end of the day is 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 federal, you know, yeah. it's it's um, it's. Uh, answers to the governor of those states only because the federal government allows it to. I mean, they can, the president can sign an order and change that at any time, you know, and and, and federalize it and and does yeah. all the time, like when yeah. they deploy overseas. So I I recall this discussion years ago, probably like a decade ago, close to that, if not, if not. Um, a coworker at the time saying something offhand, like, and this was this was before Trump right
0: mm.
1: saying something offhand to the effect of like oh yeah like we're we're heading for a civil war in this
0: country you know i heard that about 10 years ago as well and it was around that time when those guys took over that um game park or whatever it was i don't remember what the place is called if you remember that you're talking that about was, like the, was...
1: the the um out west Yeah, uh, it was like was it? public land um it was the, it. the 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 bundy crew
0: Think so, and it was this little standoff that lasted for like a week until they ran out of supplies. Some of them got killed. Did they? Some Gosh. of them
1: got yeah. Some of them were 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 killed by the by the feds. They feds mm. tried to arrest them, and they pulled a gun, and they got they got killed. Yeah, uh, yeah. As, that's what happens. Um, but so yeah, this person, a coworker of mine, commented how oh yeah, we're we're heading for a civil war, and I said Americans like indoor plumbing and Netflix too much to have an actual civil war, you know. You may bitch and moan in the comment sections. You can, mm. may say, you know, this isn't the America that I recognize or whatever. But what an actual civil war entails, what it does to everyone in the country on an individual level. Again, if you like indoor plumbing, if you like uh, hitting a light switch and having the lights come on, if, mm. you know, you like heating and air conditioning and, and it, to walk into a grocery store and have food on the shelves and stuff, you do not want a civil war. You know, like you're just kind of just bloviating online, mm. and I don't, mm. I don't take that, I don't take that talk seriously for that, for no. that reason. No, we're not no, cut no, out for good. it. We don't know what 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 that actually is.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, like if you look at January the sixth, I mean, I think maybe some people got a wake up call that day, because um, it sort of started off as a jolly, and maybe some people had ambitions to literally um, stop the election, and uh, they didn't manage to achieve it and quite a few of them managed to get arrested and some of them are in jail now i think that for some people that probably is a bit of a wake-up call
1: yes that for sure yeah and you know from like some of the sentencing hearings and stuff where these people who are you know going away for like 20 years in the cases of, uh, of some of them or you know saying oh mm. i was wrong i wasn't thinking whether or not that's true whether they earnestly believe that or they just don't want to go to prison i i can't i can't speak to that but mm. um I'll make a prediction, though, if Trump loses in November, I'll make a prediction that the secession talk will be more mainstream and accepted on the right than it is now. Because I think it'll very quickly, they'll get the impression that, you know, we've exhausted all that we can inside normal political system and there's nothing left for us to do and i Mm. think you'll see i don't know if it'll rise to like you know the governor of texas being like we're gonna secede um i don't know that you'll see that because again i think you know a lot of these governors they want to talk tough you know Mm. for their Mm. own political interests and stuff but i don't think they're about that life you know no um like yeah you got some guns in your safe at home but a lot of good that's going to do up against a tank or an AC-130 gunship or a Predator <laughs> yeah. drone, you know. Um, I, I I do think though, there's a, probably a strong likelihood that you'll see some state some state legislatures in places try to put forward resolutions about that stuff. I think if Trump loses, it'll be. It'll be a thing that's more mainstream and accepted mm. on the right mm. than it is now. That's my prediction. Do
0: you think Trump will move to Texas and probably be the president of Texas or something?
1: <laughs> Maybe.
0: I don't know. How would Texans feel about this New Yorker coming in and doing that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't I can't speak for Texans. <laughs> I'll let them have their yeah. thoughts on
0: that. Yeah, but, no, definitely. Yeah. Well, um, I just want to add, uh, is not too disseminate from what you've been saying. People forget that. In Russia, they have offices full of people employed to study the culture of a target country and find local contentious issues that can be used to create division. And the goal is to erode people's faith in their own government. And it's exactly what the Information Research Agency did under the supervision of the late Yegevni Progozhin who, as I we have said in a little while, um, I won't say God rest his soul, but there we go. And so destroying people's faith in their own country and sowing seeds of distrust among the local population makes that country vulnerable during a crisis and that's the kind of thing that Russia is w- hoping to achieve whether it actually does or doesn't is another matter because i think the war in ukraine at least for me the build ups that war i kind of felt like it was going to be easy for russia i kind of felt like that there was so much squabbling in the west that none of us could agree on anything and i was quite surprised and pleasantly surprised um up until recently at least um at the kind of how the international community to some extent came together at least certainly the NATO allies and were quite functional I think I think even Putin might have been a bit shocked by by the resolve on the western side you know um and uh, that's sort of changing a little bit because again obviously republicans are now messing around and blocking funding to ukraine which could tip the balance in russia's favor i think they've been working towards that for a while and obviously there are russian online campaigns to this day that are still trying to paint the ukrainians as neo-nazis and all sorts of nonsense like that so yeah so one has to be a bit careful so the the wider point i was gonna uh, also say was that you've know you got to be really careful about how you re- uh, react to information you consume online and so personally my rule of thumb is if i read anything that elicits an emotional response from me i stop and then i google the author or creator of the piece cuz it might be a video as well uh, or a podcast and i kind of look into what they've said before how that stacks up with my knowledge of an issue and i also look at what others say of them especially their peers and are there are there any red flags that come up when doing that you know looking into people um and then if a red flag does come up so let's say i don't know their their peers in that space that they're in like so for example let's say there's somebody online who, who used to work for the cia and then there's about 20 other cia people who i've followed for years and respect and they say well this guy's a nut job then that's a red flag chances are they
1: probably are
0: yeah, exactly. And also, they might even be a fake. You never know. There are quite a few fake spies online as much as there are authentic yeah. former ones. So, you know, you've got to be so careful, really. And and so this, this method I've got is just based on what I used to do at university when I was studying for my dissertation. Um, it's known as empirical analysis, and it's the method we use for sourcing at university for our dissertations, and it does a pretty good job. And I do highly recommend everybody, if you're not doing that, it's very easy to read things that you start to agree with, or or they kind of um, confirm a suspicion you've had for a while. And I've had this. There's a few issues here and there, um, especially around like left wing, um, the left wing reaction to Hamas's attack. You know, there's one or two paths that I've been exploring kind of just behind the scenes to try and get my head around some of these things and the origins of why so many people um younger people of the left sort of came out being pro hamas's behavior and i'm trying to understand where that comes from and i've read quite a few nonsense articles that if i hadn't you know done that critical analysis i might start believing in them and you've got to be really careful no one is um what's the word i want now nobody is sort of bulletproof from this nobody is Um, completely immune from falling for, for nonsense online. And the, you know, sometimes very well written pieces or very well produced things are the biggest culprit of these things. So sorry. Yeah.
1: Well, you've been, I think you, uh, the way you feel about this and, and your sort of best practices that you add here, ways that people can be aware of how they're being manipulated by bad actors Mm -hmm. online is certainly very interesting with, I mean, you've been very open about your sort of journey yeah. out of being a conspiracy yeah, theorist. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Yeah.
0: I think if anything, that experience where I feel like I've I burnt my hand I've and scarred from it and I do feel embarrassed by it. Um really I don't know, I feel angry about it a bit too, actually. I kind of there's many multiple versions. Do yeah. you do you feel like you were used the time that you you believe those things? It's an interesting question. I don't know if I've i don't know if i put it in that way i just i do i don't feel necessarily used because i i just ultimately manipulated. feel i do feel a bit manipulated and i just feel a bit stupid really <laughs> it's ultimately i feel embarrassed is the the main emotion i feel but i feel anger because um what i've seen in the last few years is sort of then the mainstreaming of some of these ideas and the danger i, I came out of all that thinking if we're not careful this could be very dangerous in the long run and i and i think that that belief has sort of been relatively well founded especially where we ended up with the January 6 attacks or with now multiple mass shooters and when you dig into it they believe have some conspiratorial beliefs or something um so yeah so i just feel like um i felt a bit like a cassandra a little bit you know that whole cassandra complex where start to warn people that this is yeah. bad um and then you start to see it and i really felt it in 2016 to be honest with you around sort of brexit and trump where uh even family members are starting to spout off nonsense that i knew was nonsense mm-hmm. and somebody even had roots in like alex jones kind of territory or russian misinformation because one of the things i was always really intrigued by was um so as a conspiracy theorist over the few years that i was i noticed that around 2005-6 a lot more Russian stuff was coming into the equation. There was a lot more like Russian former Russian generals who witnessed 9-11 in real time uh, and and can tell you it was the Americans who did it. And people buying this and people not being aware of the Cold War history and even me then going, hang on a minute, that's a bit hinky. Um, why is a Russian general coming forward now and what capability would they have even had? And hey, can we really trust a Russian general? Because ultimately... Uh, they don't always have our best interests at heart. Um, and yet many people that was a completely alien thought. And like, you crazy? Um, so yeah. So I just I have so many mixture of emotions. Um, but ultimately, ultimately embarrassment is the main one I have. But there we are. <laughs> mm. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So uh so so I guess um you know why this issue always becomes important to me is just because i see so much damage it's done there are people and i was going to go into this with the beheading thing but um i'll I'll go into it a bit now was there are people i've known who who like were i don't know like peace loving kind of hippie types who are now pro-gun pro-trump pro-russia who are pro-russia's actions in ukraine and i'm like what the hell, yet they're still very uh, anti-any war the West's involved with but they're pro-anything Russia does and it just strikes me as nuts um, and sad because certain individuals that I know were I considered friends and nice people and I had to cut ties with them after a while because every time I'd meet up with them um, it would just turn into this sort of argument or debate um, and quite heated at times and quite um, mentally distressing for me because obviously I've come out of all this nonsense and suddenly getting sucked back into this topic that you feel is really poisonous. Um, so yeah, it was, oh, I don't know, it's just sort of frustrating, really. Um, and just sad because there are some people who are nice and good people who I feel have been completely ruined. Um, and I'm lucky, I, you know, I got myself out of it around 2007, 2008, but there are people I know from back in 2003 who still believed this stuff that's a long time and you got
1: yourself out of it by just sort of like trusting well the yeah doubt yeah. in the back yeah. of your head i think if anything yeah.
0: if a bit like uh maybe a, a bad religious person i always had doubts uh but it was my doubts that got me into conspiracy theories and it was my doubts that kind of got me out of it as well so i was never a very good um <laughs> i've never been a very good anything to be quite honest in certain things I- i've always had this inner skeptic that f- has been for good and bad um and then on top of that it was just doing my dissertation uh, with that framework that i started to use and then i started to apply that to some of the things that i believe I-, I used to kind of like um do what i jokingly called intellectual stock take where Every few years, I just re-examine what is it I really believe about things and why do I believe those things, you know? Cause, That's very yeah. healthy. Yeah, because every so often we pick up a lot of stuff over the years and it's just a good idea once in a while just to sit down and double check. Why is it you're angry about this or that and what is it yeah. really based on? Um, and by doing that process every so often, you start to catch yourself out a bit. So, like, for example, for me, away um, from conspiracy theorists, that um dreadful murder of meredith kirch in italy for a while i was um i don't know i just started to really it's the college student that was um studying abroad over there and i really kind of bought into this idea that amanda knox might have done it and i and frankly i've always found amanda knox a bit odd but because i find it odd doesn't necessarily mean she's guilty of murder if you know what i mean um so i found that i just don't I don't know, it wasn't even the thing I paid much attention to, but I developed this belief that she's guilty. And then there was this documentary that came out about her and quite a few people. I mean, it was a PR campaign that came out for a few years to kind of really sell her innocence. Um, and I, yeah, I watched some of that. I was sceptical about it. But then I kind of thought, actually, I'm probably wrong. Um, and certainly the Italian police did not exactly build a particularly good case against her. Most of it was based on sexism and assumptions. Did you did you find that, like,
1: once you adopted the viewpoint that Amanda Knox, in your opinion, definitely was responsible mm. for this murder, mm. did you find yourself adopting the the viewpoint that you would interact with any kind of media that was pro or anti- your established stance is if you're like putting on a jersey and just rooting for your team
0: yeah you would get into these sort of like you would sort of pick up these fellow travelers and chat with them a bit about why amanda Knox is guilty and, and like how terrible it is when somebody tries to make it out that she's not you know
1: but i'm saying more like if you if you saw a piece of media mm. or a viewpoint out there that ran contrary to your held belief that amanda Knox was guilty for this murder mm. would your reaction be that must be wrong because for me to accept that would mean that i'm wrong and i can't deal with
0: yeah it's that. an interesting one i think um like i've chosen my side yeah, yeah, yeah. and
1: i have to root for it no matter what for
0: me it's sort of like i would be very so i wouldn't put it in the sense of the i'd be war, well i consciously think i might be wrong um it's a good one that one actually i think i don't know if i consciously would like disengage it like, because i think i might be wrong um i would probably just disagree with the thing um, for whatever reason. And it was actually so mm. when it when I finally it dawned on me that Amanda Knox probably is innocent, that's when I felt those emotions of, oh shit, I was wrong. And how stupid of me to have gone down that path and fuck, you know, and, and feeling really mm. bad about it. So it was sort of a delayed reaction, I think. Um so I think if anything, those sort of thoughts didn't come to a lot later. And this is this is interesting I was listening to an interview actually on sort of off on tangent now, but on spy talker with a guy who was talking about how he felt the government needs to be doing more to tackle these sort of um, far right narratives online and it ends up being quite a circular discussion but um, one of the interesting points he made was the problem is when one gets into a certain belief you start to build up these sort of trusted individuals who become the people you turn to so unless those right. trust individuals like an Alex Jones yeah, or something. Yeah, so unless those trust individuals change their mind, it's unlikely your your mind's gonna be changed by an outside source, if that makes some somebody That's interesting. So they, they, so it's a very complic the problem is it's a very complicated thing. And I think like he's actually uh books have read on like cults and stuff. I think like really it is trying to de- get somebody out of a cult. Um, uh, oh, pretty much the only methods, uh, and it takes considerable effort to actually. It is a very holistic thing to get somebody out of um a dangerous or dodgy belief, really. Um, and that's why I was always very interested in the government's prevent program because they, in theory, are trying to challenge people's extremism before they cross over that line into terrorism. And it's been a very contentious program, uh, because it hasn't always got it right, and also it threatens terrorist groups it threatens um the very existence of of those groups getting recruits Um, so it becomes a very interesting area Um, and uh to think that there was at a time there was a government program that had workshops and people to sit down with you and talk to you and about what you believe and actually maybe challenge it in a kind of relatively um non-hostile way was quite you know quite a positive thing but it's just become so poisoned and and in fact like what was disappointing as well and this is why I always have issues with leftism is quite a few people on the left really took it upon themselves to really trash prevent because they've decided it's racist when prevents goals are just to stop people from crossing over into terrorism, whether that be Islamic extremism or far-right terrorism or any terrorism. But they have decided that the war on terror is deeply racist. And I've noticed this narrative is growing and growing now as race debates have changed. And I'm quite concerned by it because I think it's sort of tipping into iffy territory with Islamic extremist propaganda, where it's sort of this war of civilizations narrative and um you know and I, i'm just deeply concerned that this idea of painting the response to the war on terror is just deeply racist and there were racist elements to it totally but it wasn't all racism that led to you know it wasn't it, 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 you know 9-11 is the reason why there was a war on terror and you know those individuals believed that they were acting in the name of islam and if anybody looks into islam they weren't they were the nut jobs of islam like we have nut jobs of christianity and we've got plenty of those in the west you know i remember nutty people from my local church or whatever you know thankfully they don't go and kill people but they're equally nutty and quite nasty in their beliefs like you know they um you know they're against like homosexuality or having sex out of marriage or um other things and they think that woman's place is in the home and all this sort of stuff and and you know, you gave them half a chance. They probably might be violent about it if if they felt they needed to be. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So I think yeah. Sorry, I've really got off on the tangent and I'm losing myself now But there's a lot of, uh, things like that that really do worry me about narratives and um. And in a way, the thought to complete this thought is sadly you kind of need a counter narrative because at the moment the only people who have an effective narrative in the West are probably the far right because the the left don't really have a counter-narrative to the far right because at the moment the left is sort of very focused on dealing with historical injustices, and they're worth dealing with. But the problem is by only focusing on that, you kind of are sowing the seeds of, well, society is just terrible, so what is it worth us dealing... You know, what is it worth us protecting anymore is where I feel some leftist debates are going. I could be wrong on that. Were but you...
1: Run into this sort of accelerationist idea that society is so far gone mm. that it's going to take some huge calamity, like, mm. uh, like, mm. um, like Susan Sarandon in 2016 saying that you know, electing Donald Trump will ultimately bring about you know, the revolution yeah. that'll overthrow capitalism. It's so
0: destructive, that it, I saw that with, um, you know, some support of the far left here where. Uh, You know, I was quite surprised certain members of unions and stuff were very pro-Brexit because ultimately they wanted to destroy capitalism. And the problem is, unless you have a very tight plan of how you're going to take over and fix things once said capitalism is destroyed, all you're going to do is burn down a house and leave nobody with a house to live in anymore.
1: It also reminds me of you know, famously, the Iranian leftists in 1979 during mm, the Iranian mm. Revolution that allied themselves with uh, <laughs> yeah. Khomeini and the his movement, and they were ultimately the first people put up against a wall and yeah. shot.
0: Yeah, totally. And and many leftists don't even realize that. It's so funny. You know. Um. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know where all that leads us to, but um. You know, it's just we've got to be careful with what things we believe and why we and know why we believe them. And every few years it's probably healthy just to double check all that, I guess is the moral of the story. Um, yeah.
1: On that mm. note, should we end with a man being beheaded about an hour from where Let's I
0: live? Let's do it. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Cool. So there's been this dreadful beheading in Pennsylvania. So yeah. Talk to us about that because I think it does relate yeah. to some of what we've talked to today. Uh,
1: so the uh, article, it's a Washington post article that we're sort of anchoring. This is by mm. Kim Belware, Jennifer son and Jintak Han. It's called Man Charged After Allegedly Beheading Father and Posting Video Online. And this, yeah, this happened in Pennsylvania about an, an hour from where I live. So, Justin Mon, a 32-year-old Pennsylvania man, was charged with first-degree murder, abuse of a corpse, and possession of an instrument of a crime after allegedly beheading his father, a federal employee, and posting a graphic video of the act on YouTube. In the video, Mon espoused right-wing conspiracy theories, demanded President Biden's resignation, and threatened to kill federal workers. Police found the decapitated body of 68-year-old Michael F. Mon in their home's bathroom, along with a machete and a large knife. Mon's mother discovered the body and called emergency services. Mon fled the scene but was tracked down using cell phone data and apprehended by police. Uh, he had minimal prior contact with the police before this, mm. uh, with only insubstantial incidents in his record, according to court records. Mon struggled with employment after graduating from college and blamed federal government entities for his financial situation, filing lawsuits against them. Basically, he was saying because he was like a straight white man that he couldn't get a mm. job because mm. of like affirmative action. Mm. Uh, YouTube removed the video for violating its graphic violence policy, and Mon's account was terminated due to policies against extremism. I think like. Um, like five thousand or so people saw the video oh, geez, before it was yeah. taken down.
0: Yeah, God, uh, a bit like um yeah. the New Zealand church shooting that was live streamed on Facebook. Yes. That's a whole that's a whole separate issue, really, isn't it? Boy, um, it's easy to live stream terrible things, and um, there have been
1: a few mass shootings like that yeah. that have been um I think the um the uh that grocery store in in Buffalo mm. not too mm. long ago that shooting there was in a majority black neighborhood. I think that's why it was targeted. Yeah.
0: I believe that was live-streamed online somewhere. Jeez, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, God, I remember that one now. Oh, yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, God. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Because, um, so, uh, I think there's probably, I feel like his personal struggles to find employment led to a low self-esteem that may have led to him going mm-hmm. down the rabbit hole and I suspect then being stuck living with his parents in this sort of weird, wacky conspiracy mindset, and then probably it was a there was I suspect there was a trigger event. This is me speculating it. I suspect that he probably had an argument with his dad that went out of control that led to him doing this, and then he tried to retrospectively, for probably his own mental benefit, justify all this by saying that um, basically because he called his dad a traitor. So he's probably trying to then, after the fact, justify his behavior by killing a traitor, not his dad. Um, and yeah, what a horrible cocktail of things that this was. And obviously conspiracy theories will have played a role in this, not, not completely. Um, but it's just, I don't know, I find it mind-boggling that, you know, the words of uh, strangers on the internet can lead you to potentially lead you to beheading your own father. You know, it's madness, yeah. it, isn't it? It really is mind-boggling. Yeah,
1: really. Yeah, it is. I mean, in a way, it's sort of just a a textbook example Mm. of the radicalization process and how personal issues are infused Mm. with national-level political-cultural issues that get, I don't know, spun together to create this really toxic kind of belief system. I think it really speaks to a rise in conspiratorial thinking Mm -hmm. in the country, Mm -hmm. just acceptance of it as just like a given fact. Like there was a poll uh, the other day that came out that says uh, one in five Americans believe that Taylor Swift is (laughs) part of a Pentagon conspiracy to rig the Super Bowl and elect Joe Biden and where that came from I truly no idea it's like it's like you flipped a switch and like one minute you know like all these people were all saying it like what what I couldn't answer what triggered that yeah. i have no idea yeah. but i i think there are if you break down that belief conspiratorial belief thinking i say with with quotes around it i think there is a i think you can split it up into three categories right The smallest of those categories are people who actually do literally believe that, right? Like in their bones, fully believe that. And the second are uh, people who probably, like we talked about, like putting on a jersey and just rooting for their team that are just opposed to Biden and his policies and, you know, support Trump, the right. That's the kind of media they consume. And so they're just going to reflexively go with anything Mm -hmm. that reflects poorly on Biden and the left, their perceived cultural enemies, right? And then there's a third who are kind of just along for the ride, just for fun, who don't really believe it at all, but, you know, they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. It's fun to mm. think that. you got a kind of contrary. I think that middle group yeah. is, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the middle group is that, um, is probably the largest mm. uh, subset of mm. those, of those three. Mm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I go back to like looking at, at this guy and what he believed and, and what he did. I go back to what we said about the potential civil war thing. You know, I worry about I think these people right now believe that there is some path for them to succeed through the political process. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're willing to engage with it. After November, if Trump loses, I worry what and they see that there's no reason for them to engage in the political process anymore. I worry what people like this or have varying degrees of beliefs like yeah, this. Yeah. I worry what they do, what they resort to when they feel like the country and American society has so inexorably moved beyond their reach. Um, you know, I've I've sort of used this to as a way to to describe it before. I don't think. If you talk about like a civil war in the country, I don't think like the 1860s, you know, like Gettysburg, Mm. that kind of thing is a good way to describe what it would look like now. I think it would. I think the Troubles in Ireland in the 70s is probably a better comparison as to what it would look like. A sustained period of political violence that is accepted and encouraged by a broad subset of the population. Yeah, that's just sort of in the background yeah, you know not like yeah. that you have like robert e lee and the army of virginia you know marching into maryland i don't i don't think you you, you would see that but just this yeah this in the background mm. small attacks mm. like this mm. you know lone wolf style stuff already kind of maybe even more it
0: with the mass shootings it, you
1: sure of do in a way how many Yeah, you have a year
0: You're... now it's like 300 isn't it or <laughs> don't is, even it's crazy oh, way too many yeah
1: we had one yesterday for the Super Bowl Well, yeah, Bowl I was going to
0: just ask a bit about that, because it was Kansas City, wasn't it? Is that the one... It, so, I, honestly, I, I know I know a little bit about Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift's boyfriend plays for the Kansas City Chiefs, yes. Thank you. That's what I was wondering. So, Kansas City, was it? Was that Super Bowl parade attacked because somebody thought that Taylor Swift works for the CIA or something? Because they've arrested three people. I
1: don't know that that's been reported. What the motives were for it, I have no idea. It may be out there. I just haven't yeah, read no, it. No,
0: no, no, I... I've not seen anything yet. Yeah.
1: I haven't seen anything on on the motives as to why, if there was some sort of ideological reason or it was just mental health or, you know, sometimes it could be like some gang thing that people were armed in a large public space. And so it looks like that. I don't know. However, that was my first Mm. thought when I saw that there was a shooting at the Kansas City Chiefs parade. Was it? And they were. I think at the time it was reported there were two people that were in custody. Yeah, yeah I think um, it's gone up to three now. Was it? Now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Was that? I don't. I don't. I don't know. I really. I mm. haven't looked into it enough to to be able to say. But yeah, or like um, like these lone wolf style attacks are potentially more organized, cellular kind of structures and plotting that you would classically associate with terrorism. Um. Yeah. I. I think it's entirely likely that you would see something like that that's just sort of sustained in the background for a Mm -hmm. while and a you know a section of elected politicians in the country and just and just the population as a whole that sort of sees it as justified i think that's what you would see rather than like the 1860s yeah
0: and arguably that's probably sadly more effective because you're just gonna create a situation where people are scared to go out and do anything um
1: it's also it's harder for it's harder for the federal government to combat you know like if you have like i don't know a state like texas that secedes and you know organizes a militia and let's say you know marches on washington that's like the pentagon knows how to you know what i mean that's like a standing army like you can deal with that but if it's your own citizens and sort of a kind of hit-and-run guerrilla kind of thing that pops up here and there for a while, that's a lot harder to deal with, especially with the way that uh, federal law enforcement, their kind of hands are tied in the way they combat uh, uh, hate speech and extremist ideologies mm. among domestic mm. groups, you know? We don't just have the tools. We don't have the tools to proactively counteract
0: those yeah, things. Yeah, that, that And in
1: many that. ways, I would say mm. for good reason, you know? Mm. But it's a it's a
0: problem yeah and i think you know i think that is the issue isn't it because i think the federal government don't really know how to deal with that um they've certainly done it successfully against like islamic extremists to some extent uh but i think the problem is um maybe you know for law enforcement the fbi when the enemy starts to look a bit too similar to themselves they're not quite sure how to deal with it anymore i don't know well i've I mean, said
1: Openly, like if January 6th, if there were a bunch of Muslims and ISIS supporters marching on the Capitol, there have been bodies all over that lawn. You can't tell me there wouldn't Mm. be.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: I'm not saying that the National Guard and the Capitol Police should have opened fire on those protesters. I think that would have been a complete nightmare and could have potentially gotten us into some really sticky situations. Mm. Like, I'm glad that did not happen. But you can't tell me if they were waving ISIS or Hamas flags or whatever, and they were all Muslims trying to march into the capital, yeah. that many of them would not have been killed. You can't tell yeah. me
0: that. Yeah. Well, thank God that didn't happen. But uh, but there we go. Right. Well, I think we'll we'll wrap up on that cheery note. Now we're going to move <laughs> over to Extra Shot on Patreon. If you go into your app, you'll see there's a link that will take you straight to our episode of Extra Shot. But to actually access it, you will need to subscribe to Patreon. And there are multiple levels on Patreon. There's two. There's a friend of the podcast, which is $3. And a very good friend of uh, the podcast, which is 5 And you either get a coaster or a coffee cup, depending on which level you choose. If you've enjoyed this episode or would like to comment on this episode, you can connect with us on social media. So we're on Blue Sky, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spoutable, and Threads. And Threads. And all you have to do is just search Secrets and Spies and you'll find us on those platforms. So, Matt, thank you very much for joining me today, and um, I will catch you on Extra Shot. Thank you. And everybody who's been listening, thank you so much for listening to us, and uh, sorry we went off on a bit of a tangent towards the end, but I hope you find that interesting. And uh, if we're not joining on Extra Shot, we will join you on the next episode. So take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Yep, see you soon. for listening. This is Secrets and Spies.